Hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you annoyed with me right Rolling. Now? Take one. Is it going to be all right? Welcome to All Through a Lens. This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. On today's show, we'll be covering rebranded film and all of its weird facets, some super slow emulsion that Vanya maybe enjoyed, and we'll call up fine art photographer Alexia Carroll. And we'll hear from a whole bunch of people about a whole bunch of failure. But first, Vanya... How are you doing? How you been? I have been doing all right. I got in the water today, so that was nice. nice. Uh, I did take some time off. I kind of like hurt my back a little bit. <laughs> Not fun, but doing much better. I loaded some film today and I'm ready to be back. So is is surfing good for your back when it's like all beat up? No. No. Okay. So <laughs> good to know. No, it definitely made it worse, but I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. So, so, so done and done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I also got something really, really cool in the mail. Oh, cool. Yes. Uh, Matt Evans yeah. sent me a care package from New Zealand. Um, yeah. He gave me some New Zealand chocolate, which was absolutely amazing. Um, he gave me two kinds. And one of the kinds, he was like, I'm really interested in what you think of this chocolate. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then he kind of went silent. And then he was like, I don't like it. <laughs> he also sent me some film. Awesome. Yeah, he, he sent me Fuji Color Eterna 500. Sweet. And Fuji Color Rila 500D. Wonderful. So both... Two colors and then some black and white uh, Eterna RDS, which he told me to shoot at 10 ISO. Oh, wow. Slow film. More yeah. slow film for you. I know. Um, have you shot with any of these? I have shot with, I believe, the Eterna. It is motion picture film, so it has Remjet, and Fuji's Remjet is like no other Remjet on the planet. It is a bitch to get off. Soak it in baking soda for a while. Really? Like with heated, heated like yeah, temperature? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then just rub it off. So like maybe like fill up my sink with baking soda and then rub it off. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> maybe I should not say it that way. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> what have you been up to, Eric? Um, you know, uh, a little bit of this and that. It's been kind of a week, I guess. Uh, I have been uh, keeping busy as the clouds roll over, and uh, I've been working on our upcoming Christmas episode. Which is, yes, we're having a Christmas episode because Yay! we can. Because uh, <laughs> Eric is camp as Christmas. I am. I, I am. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we're also working on a zine, and I've been doing a little bit of work on that. I know I'm always kind of working on a zine, but uh, we are working on a zine. Yes. Well, I, and I also <laughs> process some 4 by 5 with uh, minimal failure. Bas oh, good. Basically. Eh, basically. And speaking of failure, last episode, we asked listeners to call in and tell us about their biggest film photography failure and how they got over it. Uh, we figured maybe one or two people would call in because who wants to talk about failure? Apparently, everybody wants to talk about failure. So... We've got a lot of calls to get to on the answering machine, so much so that we've actually uh, divided it up. So we'll be hitting some now and some later. 
Would you uh, like to push the button? Yes. Hello. No one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Oh, hey, oh, Jonas, aka Colomator here again. Oh, I was stoked with this question. It's so funny. It's great. Well, uh, if you know me, you know I love mistakes. It's part of my style, I think. <laughs> but anyway, two of the worst cases that I actually got maybe a little bit sad before I started laughing. Um, I got some old, uh, what was it, the uh, Agfa film? It was so old, some of the oldest film I ever shot. It was amazing with the red backing paper and all of that. And I developed it and I checked the times and everything. And then when I was uh, gonna pour out uh, some of the chemicals, I saw, saw something blotchy and soft going with the, uh, with the water. Anyway, uh, when I pick up the film from the reels, I see, oh, this is fucking clear. What? What? Where are the pictures? Uh, ciao. Have a nice day. I'm out snow walking. It's, it's fucking pretty. Kind of sounds like his pictures went down the drain. They like did. literally went down the drain. Has, this, has that ever happened to you? <laughs> no. Oh, it happened to me once. Oh, no. Yeah, I was shooting this. <laughs> I think it was some kind of Agfa Chrome from the 70s or 80s or something. Mm, and Agfa again. Interesting. It was... E4, I think, or C22. So maybe it wasn't Chrome. But whatever it was, it was a lower temp. And mm-hmm. the hot temp of the C41 developer cooked everything off. And so when I poured it out, it just was like... Blub, 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 no blub. way. Yeah. Yeah, that hurt. So yeah, I, I have also said, this is fucking clear. Where are the pictures? <laughs> my film photography failure is myself. My laziness, cowardice, lack of technical skill, not becoming a more interesting person. As much as I would love to blame mishandling of film or old worn-out gear, as the labs I use could tell you, the failure is me. How do I overcome? I sit with the feeling and try to think of different ways to fail the next time I pick up a camera. Wow. Well... That was rough, but also I liked it. I think that being able to sit with a feeling and learn from your mistakes and make new ones constantly is just part of life. That's what we're all supposed to be doing, right? (laughs) That's what I do anyway. I just kind of go with it. Also, maybe she needs to get a new lab. Yeah, your lab seems... (laughs) People at your lab are dicks. No, no, they're they're fine, I'm sure. Yeah, we do uh, make a lot of mistakes. It's kind of all part of it. That's why, like, on Instagram and, and, and Flickr, I, I post my mistakes. Oh, yeah, me too. I mean, I, I made a zine of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Some of my zines are mistakes. <laughs> Hi, this is Federico from Italy, currently in Hong Kong. Uh, failure, film failure. I bought a batch of a few rolls of Ektachrome 64T. Uh, the guy said it was cold stored. So last this or the past summer, I took, I used it. Uh, I took some. I thought I took some nice pictures of my girlfriend on a skateboard. She wanted to learn how to skateboard, and I taught her. Uh, after I developed her, I sent it to the lab. They came out saying they found nothing. And uh, they said that the, their development time or every all the development process was perfect, and uh, and it was the rolls' fault. There were some you can see like 
faded images, but you couldn't scan them. And it was a bummer. Mamma mia. Uh, yeah, it's always tempting to blame the labs. Oh, also, the labs blame you. <laughs> yes. It's, it's very tempting for the labs to blame the photographer. Uh, in this case, it, I, I have a feeling it was the, the film. Uh, Ektachrome does not store well. And, of course, if somebody on eBay says it's cold stored, you can basically translate that to that it, it was just kept in a drawer somewhere, probably somewhere hot, uh, like Jurassic Park hot or something. Jurassic, okay. Wait, is Jurassic Park hot? <laughs> I Thinks maybe. I mean, it was an island, looked tropical. Okay. Very yeah. green and lush. Yeah. Then definitely hot. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you, you got to be really wary of that Jurassic Park film. Photo mishaps. Well, there are many. I think if you can count all the ways that you can mess something up, I probably have done all of them once. My favorites, though, are things like taking the best pictures you think you've ever taken with a rangefinder and then realizing you had the lens cap on the entire time. My most recent one, doing medium format processing and over agitating and ending up with bubble streaks. Oh, that hurts. It hurts a lot because you can't go back and fix that, folks. Mm -mm. That's about it for me. I never have a problem with over-agitating. No, you don't. You barely <laughs> agitate at all. I, I don't. I hate it. Also, all my tanks are like super old and were given to me, so they just leak everywhere. Do you, do you, have you left the lens cap on for like uh, rangefinder shots? I want to say that I have, but honestly, I think I've lost all my lens caps. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> Howdy, y'all. My biggest film failure is swimming out at Pipeline, one of the most notorious surf breaks here on the North Shore of Oahu, only to realize that I forgot to put a new roll of film in my Nikonos 5, and I had one shot left and just had to deal with it. I still swam for two and a half hours and had a good time, but it hurts the heart. Thanks again for your podcast. Bye. Go on, go on. I've done that. Yeah, absolutely. I, and again, sometimes I only shoot like 10 or 15, you know, of the roll. And then I get out there and I'm like, oh, shit, I only have like 10 more pictures left. And that sucks because, you know, with with those cameras, you have to soak them and then make sure they're dry before you open them back up. So being able to like reload in the middle is kind of a pain in the ass. That sounds horrible. <laughs> Honestly, I would love to go swim out there. Um, if I could, I probably would bring like every single one of my waterproof cameras and have them all like loaded up. Hi, Eric and Vanya. This is Matt at Moonraker32. Had two photographic failures. Um, the first being a shooting Tasman Micrat, uh, 300 out of Big Bend National Park. Uh, went great. Um, so I went and got the film processed. And since I don't process my film film, and they came back and told me it was uh, got developed as color film, which uh, was uh, bad. So I lost that entire roll of film. The uh, second would be um, shooting a black and white film at a Cadillac Ranch in Amarillo. And I, again, processing issues, you got the film back, and it had a bunch of large bubbles all over it. Um, so both of those were issues that um, were processing related, so not necessarily my fault, but did... Um, and result in big photographic failures. Thank y'all. Enjoy the show. Okay, yeah, this is a case of where the lab really just kind of fucked up. 
they, for some reason, developed Tasma Rickrat 300, which is a black and white film as color. Now, this isn't the only time I've heard of this. This also happened to Rachel from Sunny 16. I sent over a roll of Tasma Mickrat to Graham, who tossed it to Rachel a couple of years after I sent it, and she didn't know what it was. And so she shot it at, I think, 100 and developed it in C41. And, and I guess a little bit came out. It was kind of weird, but not, not much and definitely not what was supposed to come out. So, yeah, this is a, a common thing, apparently, with Tasma. I don't know. It's black and white. Develop it as black and white. <laughs> so, yeah, you got to be careful with, with labs, uh, especially, and you, you said again, with the, with the bubbles, another lab problem. Now, it's not that if you develop it on your own, you're not going to make mistakes, because you're going to, and quite oh, yeah. a lot of them, probably more. But they're your mistakes, and you get to own those, and you get to learn from those, where the only mistake you can make with a lab and learn from is to not send it to a lab, and to figure out how to develop your own, which we definitely encourage you to do, but also understand that if you can't, you can't. All right, so we've listened to six. Are you feeling a little bit better about your failure, Eric? Uh, I, uh, no, I'm not. Hopefully with the next <laughs> batch of failures, I'll have a maybe uh, a more of a perspective. Obviously, I mean, it isn't news to me that people screw up. Uh, it's just nice to kind of commiserate with a lot of people. Every so often, Vanya and I exchange rolls of film. We spend some time with them, develop and scan them, and then share them with each other and, you know, maybe the rest of you. <laughs> the first choice was mine. I picked Ultrafine Extreme 100 and 400. I know that I really like that film. Do you, you're still going to shoot with it, right? Oh, Eric? yeah, yeah. I really dug it. So Eric's pick, believe it or not, was expired film. Whoa. And not just any expired film, but Tasma Mikrat 300. Yeah, it's the same film that the lab fucked up for Matt. So this is a Soviet microfilm with really, really low photosensitivity. It's an ISO of six. But the good news is that slow films, they don't degrade as quickly as faster films. This stuff is about 45 years old, give or take, which is impressive and maybe slightly worrisome if you're not used to this. 6ISO, though, it's not real scary. Like, okay, take Sunny 16. So on a Sunny 16 day, which is a normal sunny day, uh, we shoot 100 speed film at F16 at 1 100th of a second. So for 6ISO film, we can shoot at the same speed, but we got to open up the aperture to F4. So even like a slow lens can handle this. Uh, of course, it really messes with your depths of field, but exposing low ISO film, it's not impossible. You can do it. So, okay, Vanya, you, you got the film, right? Mm -hmm. okay, and you loaded it up and you scurried <laughs> off and shot it right away, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, well, if you remember on the last episode, I talked a little bit about my surf photography and what I usually use, and that's 400 speed film, so not six. Um, and of course, I went into why I like Kentmere and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I did say that I like to try different films. So I wanted to shoot with it, but I was holding off. Okay. Okay. Why? Why were you holding off on this gift that I gave you out of the <laughs> kindness of my heart? Well, because I didn't know what I was going to shoot with it. I mean, you know that I shoot action in the water and at the beach. So 
you know, I kept thinking like, oh, maybe I'll like go out and do something different. But I just don't feel really comfortable that I shoot in the water. That's what I do. So I eventually said, fuck it. And I just went for it and put it in my camera and shot surfers. So you just shot surfers with with the uh, six ISO film. Yes. How, <laughs> yes. <laughs> how did that all work out? Well, I'll get a little bit into detail. The first I used in my Nikon S5. I picked that camera because it has more of an accurate shutter. Uh, and I also attached my Siconic Marine meter to the bottom of my camera. That I was able to set at 6 ISO. The meter basically doubled as like an extra handle so I could keep the camera really, really steady. So mostly using it just for a, a little more steady hand. I shot most of the roll at 60th of a second at 5.6. I was prepared for literally nothing to come out. <laughs> I figured that the focus wasn't going to be perfect, but I was like, all right, I'm just going to do it. Okay. So you, you just shot it. So tell me how you shot it. Uh, did you take any precautions for the low ISO or did you just go for it? Well, a little bit of both. I went for it, but I made sure it was a super sunny day and I shot with my back to the sun and tried to stand kind of in more shallow water so I could stay a little more steady. Uh, I stayed also a little bit further away from people. So I had time to frame the shot that I wanted while the surfers were like coming towards me. Uh, when I got home, I developed it in Rodinol, semi-stand. Uh, once I washed the roll and pulled it out, voila, I had pictures. <laughs> voila! Uh, so we're... we're <laughs> no, no, let me do that again. I hated that. No, I, I like that. that. No, I like No! So were these actual pictures everything you hoped and dreamed they might be? Well, I wasn't expecting anything to come out, remember? Sure. Yeah, so, you know... <laughs> So yes, the photos that came out are possibly my favorite images I have taken. Like ever? In the water, yeah. Seriously. Wow. I know, it's super strange. I got some streaks in the sky that could be bromide drag, okay. possibly, but I don't know. The film itself, it's super contrasty. The movement of the surfers, ugh, it's like, kind. I mean, it's soft because... They're moving fast, but not too soft. And there's literally zero grain in it, even with the Rodinol development. Yeah. Again, this film probably shouldn't be used for action photography, but I do what I want. The idea of pushing myself to shoot lower ISO in the water was a challenge, and I'm happy with my results so far. The film has inspired me in a new way, and I absolutely look forward to shooting more of it this winter, and maybe even making a zine with just the Tasma Micrat. Ooh. 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 A winter project. It's winter. Yay. It's time for projects. So oh. I know. There's not really a winter here, by the way. It's <laughs> such bullshit. <laughs> So we, as the podcast, are working on a bit of a rebranding film project. Possibly, yeah. this is still in the in the beginning stages of, of of planning, I guess. So we got ourselves some Tasma Micrat two hundred. Now, Tasma Micrat two hundred is exactly one hundred less than Tasma Micrat three hundred. So we we got a lot of this, <laughs> like a lot, like a like a thousand feet which is way more than we can use. So what we thought about doing after we give it like a good thorough testing is, is maybe rebranding it and letting some other people shoot it somehow. And maybe we can help support the podcast financially a little bit along the way. 
we'll see. We, we're still batting around ideas. But f- before all of that, uh, we have some rigorous testing to do, some very rigorous testing. And uh, well, I've got some ideas on how to test, but Vanya, what are you thinking that you might shoot with this, with like an endless supply of Tasma Micrat? Well, with the 200, I think I will test it on people. People. <laughs> yeah. People testing. Portraits. Oh, portraits. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, with the amount of grain and contrast that I got in the water, I'm really interested to see how it would look on portraits of people. And on the subjects of portraiture, you've recently sat for your portrait. Yes, my friend Alexia took my portrait, and we are about to give her a call. Hi. Hello. Hello. Alexia. What up? <laughs> this is Vanya and Eric at All Through a Lens. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Very good. So, Alexia, we were just wondering if we could ask you a few questions. Of course. Okay. Uh, well, the first one we'll start with is one that we asked uh, the listeners to call in about. And it was based on a, a kind of a major failure that happened over the summer for, with me. So our question is, what has been your biggest film photography failure and how did you overcome that? I think it would be 2013. I went on this trip with this new fling. I think he may have been my boyfriend at the time, but it was pretty fresh. And I think he had just graduated from the art school I was going to. And I was going into my first year, so I was, like, still wide-eyed about all of it, and he was just sort of over it, but pretty, like, intellectualized over, like, the amount of knowledge that we had to, like, take in, you know, for that whole program. So I just sort of, like, looked up to him and would ask him questions all the time. So I just sort of, like, sort of nervous around him because he was very smart, I guess. And we went on this trip. I was going to do this project with 4 by 5 And I don't know. I think everybody has maybe made this mistake at least once. But I think I did it the entire time. And it's where you put the cartridge in the back of the camera and then you take the thing out. And I was, you know, it's like double-sided. I was taking yeah. the, the back side out and not the one in front of the Oh, no. <laughs> so the whole time I'm thinking I'm like doing these photos and we're like climbing down cliffs in like Big Sur like trying to get photos of like the bridges that are there and like the ocean and just like doing these ridiculous things with this enormous camera and then you know I get back and I I realize I you know I made this big mistake and even he mentioned he was like oh I, I kind of noticed that he's like but I didn't really say anything I'm like why didn't you say anything <laughs> like what <laughs> Of all people, I thought you would be the one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speak up, yeah. man. I think I got like one image out of it. And I think it was a double exposure. And I ended up calling it Utopia because I try to find the best in my mistakes. And it ended up being a really cool print. But because I made so many mistakes from that, I sort of used that as a leverage for a new project in fine art photography. So it just turned into this like big conversation. And so I had to start asking myself questions about material and technology and how it's interpreted and what it does to me as an artist and blah, 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 you know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so I, I did get some good out of it. And I, I didn't frown too much um, after that. I just sort of had to like get on with my life. Well, and I'm sure that you will not make 
that mistake ever again with four by five. Yeah, because I'll never touch a four by five camera again. (laughs) (laughs) So I I wanted to mention that Alexi and I know each other personally, um, work together, we kind of met each other in the stock room. I can't remember exactly, but we started talking about photography and we didn't even really work for a very long time with each other, but we've end up ha- like building like a little photography relationship. And she's actually one of the first people I went on like a film photo walk with kind of, uh, mm-hmm. in Malibu. Yeah. I remember when we went to point doom. Yeah. And I remember how fun it was to watch someone with completely different style than me, pick what they were going to, you know, to shoot and remembering how cool it was to see you shoot certain things. I wouldn't even, even think of shooting. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Yeah. So I know you, (laughs) but can you maybe um, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. I grew up in the South Bay, which is where Vanya is from. That's where she lives. I love it there. I think it's really cool because it was just amazing to grow up, you know, at the beach and somehow find my way into this like circle of punk rock. And I was always like chasing musicians and like, you know, with my camera and um, with my heart. And <laughs> so it was just like, but that's where I did a lot of shooting. And I, I did most of my shooting with a Minolta and I was always losing my lens cap and like that's how I made friends or even like got attention from people because I'd drop it all the time at shows and then someone would find it and, like, and they'd bring it to me because I'd be like the only person shooting. They'd be like, is this yours? I'm like, yeah, cool. <laughs> and like, <laughs> so it'd make cool, cool friendships or um, even get dates from that. <laughs> my mom was a photographer and so I sort of picked up practice from her and she was really into the Hasselblad and so that made me love the Hasselblad so that will forever be my favorite but I went to school forever like I did community college for probably like 10 years and then later on I was like okay I gotta do something else I mean throughout that time I I got like a cosmetology license and then I ended up in the beauty industry and then somewhere in there I went back to school again you know built my art portfolio and then I applied to Otis and a couple of the art schools and Otis accepted me and I was like all right this is um I think I was like 26 when I was accepted I was like okay this is great but if they like you know they give me a lot of money to go there then I'll I'll go and sure enough they gave me scholarships and grants that persuaded me to go so I felt very lucky to have that experience and that opportunity so what was it what was it like going to Otis So I went in actually thinking it was going to be more technical than anything, but Otis is like a theory-based school, so they don't really teach you. I mean, I can only speak for fine art. I can't really speak for like their, you know, like design and and product and all those other departments, but fine art is, is, you know, heavily theory-based. And so you sort of combine like these interests that you have with theory and you try to like apply theory to these conversations you want to have about your artwork. And then you have like a full-time schedule is like 18 units a semester. So I was doing like seven classes a semester and four out of seven were um, studio classes. So we were doing a critique of our work for at least, at least twice a month for each class. And so you're like, you're speaking in front of a group of people and you're like talking about these ideas that have influenced your work and, why you think it's important and it's so nerve-wracking it was just like it was a lot of anxiety that went into it because once you realize you're 
you've put yourself in a really vulnerable position. Like you just can't stop thinking about like what you're going to say and what you're going to do next and how you're just going to progress and or develop your work. And so it's like all eyes on you. And then people get the opportunity to like tear it apart if it's a really, you know, shitty idea. And you're just like, oh, great. How do I pick up the pieces of my heart and my work <laughs> and move <laughs> and move on? So it was... It was really enlightening in a lot of ways, but it was also, I feel like it just made me like art less <laughs> at a certain okay. point. Yeah, I mean, it sounds um, intense. It is really intense. It's super intense. Um, it's just too much work, really. And, you know, by the end of, of your your whole time there in the fine art department, they like, you'll have this like last class where they basically tell you that like, you're going to struggle for the rest of your life if you're going to be a fine art artist. <laughs> <laughs> and so like your options are very limited. So unless you're like incredibly privileged and have the the opportunity to like have a studio space, like a really nice studio space where you can practice your art, whether you're, you know, in you're making sculpture or painting or photography or whatever. It's like um, you need a, a beautiful studio space or at least a decent one where people can do studio visits with you as an artist. And this is outside of school. So when you graduate and you want to be like an artist, like in the gallery world, you have to have this sort of space. It's like you have to have money for a studio space so you can have these studio visits. You have to be able to fly to different places. There's art fairs, like different shows that you need to show up for. There's like people who represent you. And you know, it's just like it's it all ends up turning into this business and it, it sort of takes the fun out of it. And if you don't have the money or the means to, to get by with that kind of lifestyle, then you pretty much have to go back to work doing something that isn't in like art based, basically. So the other option after your bachelor's degree in fine art is you can go on to get your master's because the only way you can teach is to have your master's, right? So I mean, that's the alternative with fine art. Mm -hmm. It is it is limited. And it's it's sort of disheartening, I guess. I mean, for someone like me, by the time I was done with that program, I was I was broken. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. I was so broken. I just went back to the salon and I was like, I'm taking a break from from art. I don't want to hear about anybody's art. I don't want to make any art. I'm not going to go to a show. I don't want to I don't want anything to do with it. I'm just going to take a break. And so I just mm. I just jumped back into the salon. I did hair and then realized how much I hated that. And then <laughs> and then tried to find something in between. <laughs> Yeah, it was a really intense program. I think it was really great for me in the sense that I I learned a completely new language. Um, it helped me understand why I did a lot of things the way I did them and why I wanted to pursue photography. Mm -hmm. And it was just really fun and interesting to like to learn about like just like how we like sort of romanticize it. We like turn it into poetry. I think fine art is poetry. So we, the way we talk about our artwork and all that, it's just like, it's all intermixed in this like language that just makes everything sound so beautiful and intricate. So how has fine art played a role in the development of your photography? Fine art and fine art photography has just like helped me sort of understand like why things happen the way they do. And then instead of like getting upset about it, just sort of like evaluate what had happened, maybe use that in my work and like obviously learn from it but maybe I can make work from it you know so when I made that mistake in photo it's like I um was like well maybe I should get into more of an interdisciplinary practice like instead of shooting film photography of like 
just subjects. Maybe I should focus on the photograph itself, like as an object or as a sculpture or, you know, and that's where you start like thinking about how you can integrate like other mediums into your work as an artist. Sure. Okay. So I sat for you recently. You took my portrait with the Hasselblad and, um, I was wondering if you wanted to talk about this project or any other projects that you're currently working on. So, like, I've been shooting digital and film for this project that I'm doing with other women. And, yeah, Vanya sat for me for one of the portraits. And it was absolutely lovely. I loved everything about it. And it was a really great experience to have with you, too, because I've never photographed you in that way. It's just, like, a very intimate space, you know, and to be vulnerable with someone in that way, I think it's just, it's really I think it's courageous, I think, to lend yourself to somebody like that. So yeah. thank you for doing <laughs> that. <laughs> Absolutely. It was, I've never really done anything like that before. Uh, so, and usually I'm, I'm taking pictures. So yeah, it was, it was a little, I was a little anxious in the beginning. But then when I realized like, oh, this is Alexia, and we're listening to music, or we're hanging out, it was, you know, I got comfortable. And it was a lot of fun. Yes, it was easy, right? Um, yeah. In this environment that I'm sort of creating for this project, I want it to be soft and comfortable because it's sort of like a reflection of like how I feel right now. It's like I'm, I am just, I'm trying to find my voice as a female artist. Um, I'm really into the female gaze. Always, I've always been tired of like looking at like pinups of girls that were taken by some like perv, you know, on Craigslist or something, you know, something like that. And it's like, I, I've, you know, been a subject to those things. And I just, I was like, God, where, where are the women? Like, where are the, you know, the cool women out there making work about women? And so that's sort of like why I started getting into it. It sort of coincides with this idea that we're becoming more, um, maybe progressive with like me too having all these people come out and and share their experiences has really done a lot for for women and like it's just good to finally have that out in the open okay um the last question is the question that we're asking our listeners and it is it's going to be for our christmas episode so Mm -hmm. tell us about your film photographic memories from childhood christmases so do you have like any particular story that you could remember during the holidays <sighs> no <laughs> uh, <laughs> the only reason why i remember it is because i have a photo of it um <laughs> it's this image that i think my mom took of me i think i'm four and a half um i was the only child until four and a half <laughs> and so we sort of joke about that i was like yeah everything was great until my <laughs> sisters came along and then you know so because siblings ruin everything for you um, <laughs> Um, so this like sort of like infamous image that I have, um, my mom sent it to me because I was talking about it with her this morning. We were laughing about it, but you know, those like push pedal cars before they were like electric, they were push pedal because I'm old. So my parents, um, gave me a Mercedes. This is my first Mercedes. (laughs) (laughs) It's a push pedal car. I'm sitting in it. I have this huge gift on the hood of it in front of me. And then I have a mound like there's like heaps of like Barbies and dolls and presents, unopened presents, like surrounding me as I'm sitting in this Mercedes. <laughs> and so I just Im- imagine this is like my last hurrah, you know, before I have to share anything and like things get divided with siblings, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So it is really precious because it's like, I, this is my, you know, my, my last moment of um, only child days. <laughs> um, you know, the good old days. <laughs> the, best. the way it should have been, you know. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah. for coming on. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. And we shall talk to you soon. Okay, cool. Bye. 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 Last episode, Eric talked about a disaster with rebranded film. This made us dig a bit deeper into the whole rebranded film phenomenon. Lots have been said about it, and since most of that is whiny and irrational, we'll try to keep it civil. First, even with my experience, I've got no problem at all with rebranded film. I still use it, and I'd still probably use Cat Labs. But Cat Labs, the film that provided the failure of which we're speaking, that's a slightly more complex and sort of weird story. So we won't start. Let's start with what rebranded film actually is. There are far fewer film manufacturers than there are brands of film. Companies such as Cinestill, Cosmo, Arista, and Selbera don't actually produce any film. They buy film from a manufacturer and slap their own name on it. Think of this as sort of the way generic products work in a supermarket. In fact, many drug and grocery stores had their own lines of rebranded film. I grew up with my parents shooting wise quality 200 speed film from Wise Markets in Pennsylvania. This was rebranded Fuji something something or Kodak something. You know, it just doesn't matter. At this point, basically zero store branded films exist on the market, but we've had an influx of new companies doing pretty much the same thing. But let's talk about the manufacturers. And here we'll be talking about black and white film. The big producers are Harman and Foma. Most of rebranded film comes from these two manufacturers. Other stuff comes from Astrum or Adox or Agfa Gavart. Orwo, a German motion picture film manufacturer, can also be thrown into the mix. These are factories. So if you go to their addresses, you'll be in a manufacturing facility with noisy machines and people in lab coats. There are smaller ones like Lucky and Shanghai from China, and there's, of course, Kodak. For a really clean example of a rebranding company, let's look to Cosmo. Their film is just film a pan 100 in a really cool box. Again, there's nothing wrong with any of this. They're very open about what they're doing, and if you have some moral issue with it, that's a you problem. Just know that Cosmo Mono 100 and Fomapan 100 are the exact same thing. Similarly, Japan Camera Hunter's StreetPan 400 is rebranded surveillance film from Agfa. Holga, Arista, and Lomography do this as well, but their emulsions are Fomapan, except Lomo's Potsdam and Berlin products. They are made by Orlo. You guys following? <laughs> to make things a, a, a bit more complicated, let's turn to Silbera. This is a Russian company that's incredibly open about the films they rebrand, but also one that seems to maybe manufacture their own emulsions. It's sort of a weird mix there. Their main offerings seem to be kind of an original recipe, but their Ultima series is slightly retold or maybe just simply rebranded Agfa Gavart. And their cinema series is, is super obvious as it's labeled exactly exactly what it is, Orwo UN54 and Kodak X. Rolly in many ways does similar things to Silbera, except this company pulls film from anywhere they can get it, from Foma, Harman, and Agfa Gavart. They might also design their own emulsions. It's pretty hard to tell. 
Unlike Silbera, Rolly is a bit more cagey about it. Their RPX series is made by Harmon and is said to basically be identical to Kentmere, though we're not sure about this. And their RPX 25 is, is obviously a unique emulsion. Uh, see, and it says it just gets all weirdly confusing. You don't have to remember any of this. Their retro and super pan offerings are rebranded Agfa Gavart Avifot. The price point is a bit high, but I enjoy shooting with it. So Ultrafine Extreme, which is a, a film that we both really, really love, it's kind of a mystery. It's possible and probable that it's Kentmere 100 and 400, but in 120, which is kind of cool. Uh, Ultrafine sells this stuff for less than $4 a roll, whereas Rolly stuff, which has been said to be a lot like Kentmere, it sells for over twice as much. In cases like this, you just need to figure it out for yourself. Get a couple of rolls of a bunch of stuff, do some tests, and if you like what you see and you can swing it, get what you want. I mean, just, just shoot whatever you want. And that's really the lesson here. While it's fun to speculate over which coating and finishing factories have coated and finished which emulsions, the answer in the end is it's up to you. If you feel that Rolly GPX is widely different from Kentmere or that Kentmere is miles away from Ultrafine, it really doesn't matter. So this all brings us back around to Cat Labs, mostly because we, we kind of have to talk about this. While many film companies are at least open about the fact that their films are rebranded, Cat Labs is not. Contracts and some legal stuff maybe can prohibit some companies from, from just flat out naming the original manufacturers, but that doesn't force them to lie to us and say that they've designed the emulsions themselves. And that's kind of what Cat Labs is doing. So in their original statement, it read that their emulsion was a, quote, new emulsion not currently available in another packing form. I'm not really sure what this means since packing form isn't a, a thing. So what they actually mean by all of this is it's kind of a mystery. It seems clear that Cat Labs is rebranded film. Their new offering is 320 ISO film in 35mm. They initially claimed that this was not re-spooled cinematographic film. However, the markings on the edge clearly note that it's Eastman 5222, which is Kodak Double X, a cinematographic film. But their original offering, their X film, that's the stuff that I use for the Nez Pierce project, the stuff that kind of failed miserably, is a little more mysterious. So they claim claim that it is a designed emulsion. And I'm not sure what they mean by that either, because the other option is a naturally occurring emulsion. They also claim that it follows in the footsteps of Kodak's famous Panatomic X. This makes you think that Cat Labs, the company, designed a film to shoot and look like Kodak Panatomic X. In reality, this film is identical in every way to Shanghai GP3 100 ISO film. Cat Labs has flat out denied it and has even denied it was rebranded. But some folks have studied the curves and density of both Shanghai and Cat Labs, and their findings make it pretty clear that they're the exact same emulsion. So I suspected all of this going into it. Uh, I have, I've shot a bunch of Shanghai, and I was pretty okay with it. I, I really like Shanghai film, which means that I do really like Cat Labs film. It's incredibly economical, which is great, and I really like the tone. Having shot a lot of Panatomic X, I honestly don't see the comparison. And, you know, I think they are just kind of maybe fudging that a little bit but you know that's okay this stuff is super subjective so this is probably not the last time you'll hear me talk about cat labs but for now this kind of sums up my opinion of it the big takeaway is sometimes film with different names is the same stuff also shoot what you like well there's been quite a lot of failure going around this week and i think it's time to check back in with the answering machine what do you say yeah let's do it hey guys this is jason beaner uh, that's my instagram as well 
I think my biggest photo flub to date would probably be, um, I mostly shoot wet plate. I had gone up to Mount Rainier, brought all my stuff up there, hauled everything down a trail, got my camera all set up, got my dark tent set up, got my chemistry all poured, went to grab a plate to pour my first plate, and where were my plates? My plates were back home on my kitchen counter. So needless to say, didn't get much shooting done that day. Um, and after that, it's checklist time. Anyway, enjoying the show. I uh, hope you guys have had a good week and gotten some good shooting done. That's a kind of failure that I, I really can't connect with. <laughs> I that mean, is rough. Yeah, in some ways we've all kind of done it. You know, we forgot stuff at home and had to kind of like, oh, I guess I'll start over. But dude, he's like got an intent. I mean, he's doing wet plate, so he's like hiking. He's got this camera. He's got his like tent. I mean, all his chemicals. Oh, that would kill me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hope that he was able to go back and maybe get some shots. And maybe if, if you have, Jason, why don't you uh, let us know? Or if you haven't, um, good luck next summer, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he's going to do a checklist now. So yeah, good idea. Hi, Eric and Vanya. It's Simon here from the UK. Simon Burgess, photography on Insta, but I really wouldn't bother. It's not that interesting. Biggest film disaster. Um, there have been many recently since I bought a Hasselblad. Uh, not one, but two films, which I loaded back to front, which was uh, a little upsetting. Um, but I think going back to um, when I used to shoot weddings on film, that's probably the worst. And one of the many worst was a Friends film, where for some um, unexplained reason, I rewound a film halfway through the roll, I think maybe to put a faster film in, and completely forgot I had half a roll of film in my camera bag when I went to a local fair a few days later at night and shot a load of neon lights. Anyway, the end of the film, put it in, got it um, back, and basically the photos of them signing the register were just absolutely covered um, in neon lights and things saying win a coconut and stuff like that, which they weren't overly impressed with, as you can imagine. Ooh, I've done that, where you've loaded the film wrong. I think I was shooting with a, I think it was the Yashica mat, and the backing paper like goes face up. But when you're shooting with a Hasselblad, it is reversed. And I think that like when you're shooting with both of those cameras, sometimes I just like get confused and I've totally done that. Uh, I think I did it actually with my Mamiya RB67 when I first got it, maybe like three or four years ago. Out on the field, I was shooting flowers and I remember pulling it out and going, whoa, this is not right. <laughs> and of course I was pissed and I probably like tossed the roll, which was ridiculous because I probably could have put it in a dark bag and just re-rolled it the other way, right? Would have been fine. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Would there be any light bleeding through? Why don't you try that? Why don't you flip a roll around? Nah, it's cool. I don't have that much 120. I'm like, I'm savoring it. <laughs> <laughs> you do it. How about you do it, Eric? I made a few catastrophic errors in Japan trying to load the film. The first was not so bad because I was reshooting color photos in black and white to print them second time, I'd actually loaded it right, but I thought I'd loaded it wrong, and I hit it until the back opened. This fixed the problem, but uh, I lost half the photos. Final one, I'd been up all night because I'd missed the train, and the sunrise over Narita was unbelievable with the fog and the Japanese architecture. But what I really lost there was the ability to share the photo, because I'll always hold on to that one internally, and that's my, my main consolation. Some photos you can't lose. Some photos aren't taken with the camera. 
I guess I understand what he's saying at the end. I think a few months ago, I wrote something on the Film Awakening blog about my summer trip to Mexico. And I talk a little bit about a photo that I thought I got. And it was Marley and two other girls that are like ages like 8, 10, 12-ish. And they were riding a wave together. So I framed the shot, shot it. And what I saw was three smiling faces surfing a wave together. And it was just like the most amazing (laughs) thing ever. When I developed the picture, it was not that. I was maybe like a split second off and I didn't get that shot. But in my mind, I remember what I saw. Eric and Vanya, this is Graham Young, and this is my story of photographic disaster. I was in England a couple of years ago uh, shooting um, a bunch of pictures of my father's home village. He grew up in a very small village called Greetham in Rutland. And um, after I shot one roll, I left the tail out because I'm lazy and I don't like to use a uh, leader retriever. And I shot that roll again. Uh, Part of this is how did I overcome it? Well, I didn't overcome it. I'm just a little bit better at figuring out whether I've shot a roll before. So, Vanya, you... (laughs) (laughs) You have a bit of a problem similar to this, whereas for some reason, even though you know how to use a leader retriever, even though you have a leader retriever, you still leave the tails out on your film. Yes. Why don't you just roll it back in? Because I don't want to, because I don't like using the leader retriever. It sucks. It's stressful. (laughs) Isn't it more stressful to like pick up a roll of film and not know if you've shot it or not? No, of course. But I've come up with a new thing. And it's really, yeah, what is the new thing? Uh, creasing the tail. Wow, what an interesting idea! Yeah, I made it up all by myself. Wow, that's brilliant! Such a lie. I can't imagine where you would have gotten such an amazing idea. Hi, guys. So, not the worst, but definitely the most recent film failure I had was last December in Rocky Mountain National Park. I was hiking, and it was very snowy and windy, about 30 mile an hour winds, and I had some expired Fuji slide film I was excited to shoot. I got the shot all framed with my Graflex crown graphic and was about to take the shot but wanted to double check my exposure real quick so I took a look over the lens board and accidentally pressed the shutter taking a very blurry impromptu selfie um, with the sky as the background. It looked horrible. So I cursed myself under my breath and just kept hiking because what am I going to do at that point? Alright, cheers! So that was Hannah. You may remember her. She was our very, very first guest. I want to say I remember her talking about this trip because one thing in particular, she was pregnant while doing this, right? It was a solo hiking trip in the middle of winter in Rocky Mountain National. She was like 30 months pregnant and (laughs) decided to take... Uh, and decided to take her Graflex with her because why not make things more difficult? So yeah, it's not it's not incredibly surprising that something like this would happen. And actually, this kind of stuff happens all the time. Yeah, I haven't done it yet, but I'm planning on doing it. I'm sure. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're planning on it. It's definitely going to happen. <laughs> uh, also, I think we need to ask: Is can we see the photo? 
Oh, that would be great. I want to see it. Got to see it. <laughs> I just want to see the tones. <laughs> Hello, Eric and Vanya. This is Nick calling from Nick underscore E underscore Bull, B-U-L-L, uh, on Instagram. Uh, I mostly like Half and All and Ilford and Ultra Fine films. But anyways, I lost most all of my negatives from childhood up to just a few years ago. I'm 35, so I lost a lot. And it's made me value everything that I do have much more. And the pictures that I'm taking currently and will take um, help me gain a better perspective on them and cherish them more. So in a way, I haven't gotten over it, but it's helped me deal with it better. I hope uh, to hear more from you guys. Love the show. Thanks. Bye. Oh, that is so sad. That would absolutely destroy me. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually have all of my mom's negatives that she took on the original Minolta that I started shooting film with, actually. So I keep them all. Um, my family split when I was pretty young. Half of my family stayed with my dad, and then me and my sister were with my mom. And I think I feel like I missed my brothers a lot. And my mom shot a lot in the 70s and, like, early 80s. So looking back and seeing the pictures and, you know, seeing my family together, I know this sounds, like, so sad, but it actually makes me really happy because it I can, like, look into a part of you know, when I was like a baby or really young that, you know, I obviously don't remember, um, I get to see that. And so like losing negatives and memories is is so awful. Yeah, so many of my childhood memories, you think back on them, and they're really based around the photos. Mm -hmm. Because you maybe not, you know, your mind will remember things, however, it remembers things and it'll rewrite things and rewrite things every time you remember it. But with a photo, there's something solid there that your your mind can always go back to and kind of reset it like, okay, this happened. But of course, I mean, it's, it it morphs it a a little bit, but a lot less, I'd, I'd think. So losing all of your negatives, and I don't know if you lost his photos as well, but losing that, you're, you're really losing a tangible link to your history. And that's, as I sorry, and that's that's devastating. <laughs> it's really devastating. Uh, really sorry for your loss in every way possible. That's horrible. So, okay, Vanya, you uh, you haven't really shared with us your your greatest failure, <laughs> a- apart from maybe agreeing to do the podcast with me. What is your... <laughs> greatest failure um oh god there's so many to choose from okay the one that i am going to talk about is my failure with checking my rb67 before traveling all summer long with it i mostly shot with my rb67 all of july all of august and i was fucking everywhere i like drove through at least six states and shot a ton of rolls. When I started developing them, I noticed, oh my God, there's a light leak in my camera. And there are some really good shots that I completely messed up because I didn't check my equipment before traveling. So, big mistake. Okay, that's the only podcast we've got for you guys today. Savanya, any parting thoughts? Yes. Don't use DX code automatic cameras with expired film unless you want to shoot it at box speed. Works for me. So a quick note on the next episode question. 
we are doing a Christmas episode, and we would like you to call in, meaning go to Instagram and leave us a voice message, and tell us your film photographic memories from childhood Christmases. Dig deep. Bring out the pain. It's there. Go get it. Oh, okay. If you'd like to contact us, we're allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. And we're allthroughalens on Twitter. Vanya is at surfmartian. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers. Both on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff at allthroughalenspodcast to be featured. And share us with your unsuspecting friends and enemies. We also do a Spotify playlist for each episode. So check those out and see what we're listening to. Just search All Through a Lens. You can also find our episodes on Spotify as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell else you find your podcasts. Subscribe and please leave us a review. The music you are hearing now is Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. And thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. See you in about a week. Uh, Vanya, you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go. <laughs> okay, yeah, we're done. Bye.